Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. So for today's episode, I've partnered with Wines of Germany to discuss the versatility of Riesling with a few of my colleagues. Uh, Riesling is the most widely planted variety in Germany. And as most of you rabid BTG listeners know, it can be made in a myriad of styles, sweet, dry, sparkling, fruity, mineral driven. In the words of Clifford Harris Jr., you can have it however you'd like. I think that's how the TI song goes. Um, To talk about the ways in which Riesling can be the MVP of a restaurant wine list, I've enlisted Andres Blanco and Dale Ellington. Andres runs the wine program at Jardinere, the hot new restaurant in Houston's Museum of Fine Arts, but he spent years working for the James Beard award-winning chef Hugo Ortega at his Mexican seafood restaurant Caracol. Dale, on the other hand, worked with wine at Houston's top two Japanese restaurants before moving into a chef-driven tasting menu space. So these two guys, they have very, very different kind of backgrounds from cuisine um, and also from like um, a wine standpoint. Um, And I think you'll get a sense of that as they talk. But what brings them both together is their passion for this particular variety, Riesling. If you want to learn more about the specific wines that the three of us tasted in this episode, you can check out the liner notes for the show. Let's go ahead and jump in. Well, gents, how are you both doing today? We're doing great. Thank you for inviting us. I'll be doing a whole lot better when I finish this glass of wine. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Well, I think my car said it was like 101 degrees outside. Perfect for Riesling. I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, Riesling, regardless of what Riesling is, it's going to taste good when it's that hot outside. Oh, yes. Thank you both for being here. We've got Andres Blanco and Dale Ellington, two wonderful sommeliers in Houston. And we're going to have a conversation about the versatility of Riesling. Maybe we can quickly... Do a quick intro on who you are. Andres, you are the sommelier at Caracol, one of the best Mexican seafood restaurants in the city. Yes. One of the best seafood restaurants in Houston and one of the best Mexican restaurants in Houston. Yes, hands down. That's why I was so happy living, uh, working there for five years, you know, because I was so happy with the authenticity of the menu and the great versatility that it had with the wine program that we had there. So You guys had a really big menu there, right? Yes, big menu, but lots of authentic dishes. People were so excited to see our menu from their trip back from Mexico and say, oh, we tasted this at blah, blah, blah area. So that felt pretty good for us to show the authenticity of the menu. You had some, I'm sure being in like the heart of the gallery, you had some intense guests coming through that space. Yes, yes. Lots of uh, lots of guests with a very, very specific uh, criteria of what they would want as far as- It's a very uh, diplomatic way to say it. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Dale, the first time I met you, you had been at Uchi. And then you went to Cata Rabada, and then I had the pleasure of working with you at Camerata, right? So how would you describe those two places you worked at, Uchi and Cata Rabada, for people that maybe aren't familiar with those two restaurants? Well, when Uchi opened, there was the constant comparison between the two restaurants, but in reality, it was uh, apples and oranges. But what's interesting about being invited to uh, speak on this podcast was that I utilized uh, Riesling quite a bit in, you know, the offhand pairings that I would do and just to build the wine program. And now you're running the wine program for a place called Degust, right? I am. Little 20-seat restaurant in Spring Branch. Opened up in January. Tasting menu only, right? Tasting menu only. That's got to be pretty tricky when it comes to pairings, right? It is because sometimes you have to make wines uh, do double duty um, (laughs) because right now we're 14 courses and even if you're modestly pouring – a little taste for someone, they're going to be pretty loaded at the end of 14 courses. So oftentimes you you have to have a wine 
that can cover several courses. And I imagine it's a, it's a nice segue into talking about Riesling because Riesling can do that. With the low alcohol that it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I think a great starting off point for us would be maybe like your aha moment for Riesling. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Riesling is catnip for wine professionals. It's almost a cliche at this point that if you are a sommelier, you love Riesling, you love preaching the gospel of Trock and Riesling. But for yes. each of you, where where did where was your aha moment? When did you pop your Riesling cherry? Our wine director over at uh, Ucher, beverage director, I, I can't remember what the title was, um, just said, this is fantastic sushi wine. It, that was how it was introduced to me. Uh, it turned out, you know, the minerality uh, that's inherent to a lot of, well, in this case, dry Rieslings, it's just fantastic with raw fish. Mm. Absolutely stunning. And just for the sake of drinking wine, just for the sheer, sheer sake of drinking wine mm-hmm. uh, for pleasure. Yeah. I mean, huge. I went, wow. Okay. For his pleasure, Riesling. <laughs> yes. Uh, Andres, what was your aha moment for Riesling? Oh, wow. This was uh, in June of about eight years ago. I got the chance to try a, a Donhof um Slightly sweet, which is the one that I I was happy that you were able to uh, to get for us today. <laughs> um, it, it was uh, I got the chance to meet the the, the Donhoff family at a tasting that I got invited by a close friend of mine who was studying wine. And shout I got, out Helmut, right? Uh, yeah, they were here for a major wine tasting here in uh, in Houston, and I got the chance to try it. And my friend was telling me how it goes amazingly well with Mexican food because of the sweetness of it. But, you know, before I tried sweet, sweet wines from other areas, but when I tasted recently for the first time, and it was this cabinet category, uh, I, I didn't pay attention where exactly it was from, but I just felt this sweetness, but at the same time, refreshingness, which I didn't know it was acidity. And it just felt so balancing for me. And that day, I, I fell in love with it. I got myself a book uh, called The O.C. Clark's uh, Wine of uh, the Grapes of uh, Wine of Grapes. And the first paragraph, it said, you know, the Riesling is like the straight A student that uh, it's the teacher's pet, but doesn't get picked. And it's not as popular as Chardonnay. It kind of related to me when I was <laughs> back in, in middle school in Mexico City. The so Hermione Granger I felt of, of wine. The Hermione Granger of wine. So I fell in love with it. And the low alcohol and the flavor of it and the great balance of and all the things that it takes to make a great Riesling. That was my aha moment right there. That was and this, I'm, I'm so happy to be tasting this wine with you guys today. That's super cool. That's right. Eight years ago, where were you working? I was working at uh, an Italian restaurant called uh, Arcodoro. Uh, it was in the Galleria area, and I had just uh, learned about wine. It was my first exposure for fine dining restaurants. Were you just a server then? I, w- or I was you- just a server, mm-hmm. and a close friend of mine had just passed his level two certification for quarter master psalms, and uh, he talked me into uh, signing up for the level one. And it was an amazing because before at that restaurant, I only knew Italian wine, which is my first passion for red wine, but all of being my first, my all time favorite. But then for white wine, the lightly touch of sweetness, which surprisingly in Mexico City there uh, and in Mexico in general, there's a there's an appreciation for for lightly sweet wines. Why do you think that is? Um, there's something about the sweetness of of, of beverages, uh, and of course you know margarita also being one. That combination of lime and sweetness and salt, it's one of it's one of the mm-hmm. main things about all everything that you can think of spirits of Mexico. Those three are aligned with it. So riesling, uh, it's it's got a lot of a lot of uh, presence in Mexico as far as wine sales and lightly sweet wine. Too. So with that, I believe it was a no-brainer that I, you know, my family like loving this wine, me taking some bottles to my parents' house and loving it. It's the way that it started from. Yeah. You know what's funny to me is that like Dale, your aha moment in wine came when you were working as a server, and it was the beverage director at Uchi. You know, mm-hmm. 
Andres, you were working as a server at Arcadoro and you got introduced to it. And I think the fact that Riesling is so universally loved by everyone in the wine industry. I mean, when I got my start working in wine, I was not a wine director, right? And most people, you just work your way up into that role. Right. And the idea that we, you know, are introduced to these things when we're at a formative stage in our career, we're not necessarily in a position of leadership necessarily, but someone who is higher up is like, this is really exciting. This is really cool. This is a misunderstood category at times. Right. You should be excited about it too. And it's cool to see kind of the lineage of wine professionals passing on this love of Riesling to other people. Right. For listeners at home, what we're going to do is we're going to taste through three different wines uh, and talk about the versatility of each of these different categories. So we're going to go from dry to sweet. And we're starting with a wine from Rheingau. We're starting with Weingut Spreitzer. Shout out Andreas. I know you're listening. This is a really fantastic bottling from Spreitzer. This is an Altareba Trocken. This is a really just bright, fresh, high acid, dry wine. And I think that's one of the easiest things you can do as a wine professional to kind of like catch people off guard is pour them a white wine, not tell them what it is, pour them dry Riesling, and then go from there. I, I Have you guys played that game before? <laughs> oh, of the? I do it all the time. Yeah. So tell me about that. Like, Well, you know, wine professionals are a different breed than the lay public. So, you know, you have to sort of look at the uh, sort of the the timeline of uh, being an enthusiast about wine and oftentimes starts with, say, MD 2020 or something sweet. Then you have your first aha moment and suddenly you become a red wine lover and you drink red wine. You go, "Uh, I don't drink white wine. (laughs) That's for amateurs. Then... That's that's when, you know, as a wine professional, it's easy to pounce on them because um, you're doing a pairing and you introduce a wine like this to someone and say, maybe they're at a sushi restaurant and they, they're they going to take that dive into something non-red. I let her rip. Yeah. Dry, lightning acidity with the, the Riesling and it <laughs> blows their mind. And they're like suddenly, oh, wait, here I am. Here I am on the white wine uh, train, <laughs> and lo and behold, it's Riesling. And it just shatters all the myths that they have built up in their minds. I, the Blue Nun years didn't do Riesling any good after World War II, and that's the major hurdle you have to get over, and this does it. And suddenly, now they're eschewing, they're probably eschewing Chardonnay at the time, but now they're like really into eschewing Chardonnay. ABC, um, right? Anything ABC, but anything but Chardonnay. You you built the wine program at Cata Rabada. You built it up over several years. When it came to structuring your Riesling in that menu, how, was there a way you let people know that the wine would be dry if they were just like reading through the menu? Well, how would you separate things out? I would literally write dry because no one's going to look up Trocken. They need to know. Selling Riesling just from a menu standpoint is difficult. They're going to see it and they're just going to their eyes are just going to jump over. They're not going to touch it. And if you verbally tell them, hey, this is a re- say they're well, this is a Riesling. Say that you're, they're asking for a recommendation and you go, I've got the perfect Riesling for you. They're going to shoot it down. So I just don't say anything. I said, I got just the thing for you. Try this. What is this? You'll see. And so they go, what is this? Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and, they're like, uh, what Sauvignon Blanc is this? Oh yeah, my exa- goodness. Yeah. This, yeah. What, this I know what Chardonnay is. This is a Pinot yeah. Grigio. And I'm sorry, I know it sounds like I'm making fun of the lay public because I'm not. You know, I, 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 I never want to make anyone feel silly for anything that they order. But in this case, they're like, what is it? You just, yeah. you just see their world shattered when it's, they, they find out that it's a Riesling. And I think that's really what we all try to do as wine professionals is get someone to try something maybe a little out of their comfort zone 
get something they wouldn't normally just like pick up off the shelf. Mm-hmm. At Caracol, w- would you find that with a more international clientele, right. people were more open to the idea of drinking Riesling in general and specifically dry Riesling? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was I was fortunate uh, to to work under uh, Sean Beck, our beverage director for the company of Hugo Ortegas, and and because him being from a German descendant and uh, me, I didn't know that about Sean. Yeah, so he's oh. a huge fan. He's a huge fan of uh, German wines, and then explains so many me, things. Right? Right? His name Beck. I mean, it's already on the most popular beer from Germany. Uh, so, uh, and me somehow being so passionate about languages. About ten years ago, I was uh, learning languages, and one of the languages that I that I was learning or continue learning was German because in Mexico. There's a lot of businesses with Germany. Besides, You're a real masochist. You yeah. just want to teach yourself German. <laughs> yes, and foreign well, languages. They, they do say of all the of all the few languages that I speak is the one that want, that I sound like I'm angry, <laughs> but uh, but it's not. It's a great language that's very similar to Spanish in certain different ways, of course. But uh, I, I was a huge fan of German wine and German history too. Uh, so tasting. Promoting this wine and offering it to our guests at Caracol was an amazing experience because the the, the page of the Rieslings uh, at our wine, our wine list that Sean created had the opportunity to show them the sweet styles. But then there was one part where he had the dry wines and it said something like, uh, welcome to dry Riesling, all the flavors that you love about Riesling, the peach, the apricot and all these nice, but in a dry style and full body. Uh, and then he would suggest us to to promote this wine and offer it in a big burgundy glass so people mm. could get the full expression of the aroma. And... We were very fortunate to to have people that would love uh, off dry riesling with our with our spicy seafood that we had there. So whenever they would also be introduced to some dry from some great names uh, uh, rieslings, it was it was it was a very great opportunity. And we had a lot of people, like you said, international guests that not only they knew about this up and coming uh, trend of uh, German rieslings, but also they were open to try a great grape that goes amazingly well with spicy Mexican food and they were so open. So we make uh, my job as a sommelier so much easier and for each other to transmit my passion for this wine and then their passion to understand a great wine that it goes. It was an amazing experience for five years there. Yeah, I think the the hardest thing that, that we have to do sometimes is modulate our own interests because at the end of the day, we can't mm-hmm. build a wine list for ourselves. Because right. if we were, my wine list would all be Chenin Blanc and Riesling and Petnat. And that's like the only thing I would offer. I'd be like, oh, you want red wine? Sorry, like we don't care. My yeah. Riesling and Barolo. <laughs> but um, how do you guys each modulate what it is you love and are passionate about? I mean, you're both in this room because you're passionate about, you know, Riesling. But how do you modulate that when it comes to making things work for the guest? Shoot, I'm gonna have to think about this one for just a second. I mean, you also have the luxury deal, right? You are at a tasting menu restaurant, so people come True. into that space already with the mentality of "I'm gonna go with the flow." I mean, do you find that most people get beverage pairings there? You know, about sixty percent. So that seems to be, yeah, it's definitely the majority. Um, which means I can pretty much do anything I want. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but never you can't right? see it, but I'm rubbing my hands like a mad scientist right now. <laughs> um, you know, I'm determined to always have a Riesling on the pairing list. Oftentimes, you're looking for that wedge conversationally with a guest. This opens things up from the get-go. It's uh, one of the very first pairings currently as the uh, the menu stands. And so now we're having a conversation. And I just take a, I take a decidedly unelitist view of wine. And I like to think that the guests think I'm down to earth. And so... I get their trust pretty quickly. I'm like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Because then I start introducing other wines, uh, other grape varieties outside of Riesling. And so I, I don't I don't even know if this is part of it, but once you get 
the lay people, the general public, into realizing Riesling is not what they thought, they're going to trust you with other grapes. I think Riesling it, is it sort all of that comes gateway. Down to gaining trust. Yeah. Yes, that gateway drug to bizarre grape varieties. You win them over with Riesling, and then you can bring them a Sirtico or Dornfeld or whatever else oh, you want to. Yeah. Uh, Mueller Turgau, the Frankenstein wine. <laughs> and that is actually, you know, Riesling is one of the grapes in the hybrid. Yeah. And that's yep. always a fun cup. You know, you could do anything. Mm-hmm. Not anything, but you get the idea. That's funny. That's rad. You both were kind of talking earlier about, like, navigating the the various classifications that come with German wine. The wine that we're tasting right now is a Trocken. You know, we're going to be tasting a Cabinet. We're going to be tasting a Spotlaze. Dale, you talked about not losing the forest for the trees earlier. But when it comes to distilling that information for the guest, whether it's in a printed format on a menu or verbally when you're tableside, how do you, how do you just, like, make it as easy as possible for that consumer? Um, I think with the perception of the guests of knowing that they're thinking that most Riesling is very sweet, uh, to be able to let them know that there has been some changes, just so that we don't make them feel like all this time they were wrong, but Mm -hmm. uh, to to inform the guests of, well, just so you know, now they're making these great Rieslings that are more in the dry version uh, and more fuller body with all the great flavors and so versatile with food. Uh, It almost... It almost makes the feel makes the guests feel like oh there's something new about wrestling there's uh, there's something new that I would like to try so uh, it's a great it's a, it's an opportunity for a guest to really gain your trust when you can uh, try to introduce him to a wine uh, with a different style uh, but for the right reasons and you know Caracol is a great example of a place that does crudos a lot of things that are from a wood fire oven. So yes. often when we think about pairings, we think about it only from like the dish itself, like mm-hmm. what is the protein that's right. being served. Mm-hmm. But more than anything, it's oftentimes the cooking method that can play a big role in what might pair with what. Because mm-hmm. like, for instance, you guys do tuna crudos at Caracol, but at the same time, there's also broiled oysters. There's shrimp that are cooked in a wood fire oven. How does the cooking method impact the way in which you go about pairings? Um, well, I would find out if they're trying to do something or buy, uh, buy the glass. And if they were interested to, to pick a white wine that would go well with all the seafood, a dry Riesling, I would say, I would tell them this is the best choice because it can go amazingly well with our uh, ceviches that are crudos. But then it's got enough texture and it's dry to uh, to contrast the richness of, a, of one of our most popular uh, appetizers, which was the wood roasted oysters. So... The, the winner take all for to pair with most of our great seafood that we had there was a dry Riesling. Mm-hmm. And it was a great opportunity to not only tell them this is the kind of wine that's going to pair with everything that you're going to try, but number two, it's a new style of uh, Riesling that uh, thanks to many different uh, uh, things happening in Germany besides global warming, now they're mm-hmm. able to make all these great Rieslings in, in a f- dry style version. If that was something that took people away from Riesling, which if it was the sweetness, well, now there's some great dry styles like this one that we're trying that is that it, it has the all the things to love about Riesling and, of course, the versatility to go with food. That might be a good transition for us from the Spritzer and Rheingau to the Donhof and Nahe. So mm-hmm. what we're going to do right now is pour ourselves a little bit of the Donhof and uh, move Better knock this one down real fast. <laughs> um, Andres, so since you, Donhof is the wine that you brought to today's tasting... Maybe you can walk us through how you see the difference between Rheingau and Nahe, these two wine regions uh, that we're that we're tasting. Yeah, so the you know two regions that are very nearby um, and separated by by the river, and both very similar to the Mosul, which is the one that most people know. Uh, the the Rheingau is where there's a lot of history. They've been making Riesling for a long, long time. 
Nahe is more of the up and coming. Uh, and there's very few great producers that are coming to, to the United States. One of them being Donhoff. The style that they do there, I mean, the soil is also very similar to the one that we know that, that recently comes from, which is a slate in different styles. So I think the difference between the one we tasted earlier is that this one is a little bit more lighter in style. Uh, uh, the ones from the Rheingau tend to be a little bit more broader, more richer in style, which a is a little more dry extract. Mm-hmm, and a little more dry uh, too. Uh, so the one from the Nahe, even though it's a more newer region compared to other regions like the Mosul and Ranga with so much history. Uh, they're doing some phenomenal stuff there. They're, the wines are very well made. They're very well priced. And it's a great opportunity to try a, a Riesling in different styles from just one producer. You could say there's there's a couple of great producers there. They have they make some phenomenal lightly sweet wines and then they make some great, great uh, dry styles from some very special single vineyards that has all the aspects that you need to make a phenomenal Riesling. Don't they also make a ice wine? Um, yes, they make ice wine. Uh, they actually, uh, this producer, Donhoff, owns a small little mini vineyard. Uh, I believe it's called Overhauser Brook. And they're, uh, it's such a small one, and, and they're able to make some great ice wine from there. So, you know, as you know, ice wine in Germany, it's, it's so special because every little grape has to be, like, hand-picked. Imagine all the labor that goes behind it, and especially on vineyards that are so steep. So I think that when you're saying Cadney for someone else, as someone yes, we, we because we read and we get certifications and all these things about Riesling, we know how hard it is to make Riesling and all the things that go around it. It makes us want to appreciate it more. So, but yeah, uh, the processes by which to make it are, are, are just as exciting. Same with sherry, Correct. same yes. with champagne. Sometimes the methodology behind, you know, the vinification can, can be as exciting. It's a great storytelling element when you're at the table. Like, oh, these were individual berries that were frozen, yes. and you're pressing the juice out of them, or you know, super cool stuff. And you know, when you're really, on the floor, really cool. guests love that. It, it makes them feel special about what they order or what they order from your recommendation so that creating value for oh, yeah. for for wine based on the labor that you went behind it it's what makes it special yeah absolutely so dale you were talking about how you worked at a sushi restaurant mm-hmm. and sushi comes in a lot of different formats you know and there's many different types of fish in the sea right Dale, when you think about different types of fish, whether it's a fattier cut like chutoro or otoro, or you're thinking about something maybe a little more mm-hmm. firm, like when you think about different fish and what works with different styles of Riesling, like what's kind of the way in which your mind operates there? You know, and I, man, I'm digging drinking this wine right now, but I would probably end up having mm-hmm. to go back to the uh, electric acidity to uh, uh, the spritzer, the spritzer, the fattiness in say Chutoro and Otoro and a fair a fair amount, even uh, salmon that you're going to get uh, either sashimi or nigiri pieces, having that uh, bright acidity wash away the fat. And it's like you're getting that first bite every single time. And I, I, I do apologize for veering slightly off topic because we're going to a slightly sweeter style. Um, I would even pair it with a A5 Wagyu. Mm, mm-hmm. That sounds good. Oh yeah, it's really good. I I tell you what though, I, and if I may, you know we I go to these little luncheons with a bunch of wine dorks, and we end up eating a lot of Szechuan food and uh, some some of the spicy Vietnamese food as well. And the uh, Donhoff is sort of that perfect utilitarian wine for all of that. <laughs> 
I mean, come on. It is the perfect yeah. margarita because it's the yeah. perfect blend of yeah. sweet perfect and sour. margarita. Oh, yeah. So uh, maybe that's some some of it. When you want a really good margarita, just drink Don Hoff. Yeah. It, or well, just put ice that's on the, the new Riesling. marketing campaign for Wines of Germany. Yeah. You know what? Sure. Yeah. Just put a Riesling <laughs> on ice. Well, and uh, for the listeners out there that don't realize how amazing of a food destination Houston is, we've got it in spades. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you might not know where you need to go, but you bring a uh, bring a wine like the Donhoff. This is sort of like my shotgun attempt at pairing wine. When in doubt, bring this Donhoff. Something that'll work with a lot of different things. A lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. Hmm. Uh, this is probably the most versatile one on so the table. When you say versatile, you're not just mm-hmm. talking about producer, but you're also talking about like cabinet, like that style. Mm-hmm. The, the that style. Level. Absolutely. You know, you, you're going to get some people go, God, this is too sweet for me. I'm like, you know what? Think of this as the ketchup to your fries. I love me some ketchup with my fries. You're but not I'm an not aioli gonna... guy? You're not, oh, you're not. Hey, I will get down on some aioli. <laughs> but I love me some ketchup as well, especially the spicy Whataburger ketchup. Anyhow. Shout out um, Whataburger, sponsor the pod. Uh-huh. Yes. Through. Because at the end of the day, a trocken wine, you were talking about A5 Wagyu. You were talking about Chutoro yep. and Otoro. Yep. A dry wine is great with that, but the richness that comes with just mm-hmm. a touch of residual sugar can be really, really nice. Cabinet is it's it's the uh, for those for those who, who don't know it's the in the category of ripeness and sweetness from uh, from uh, on wines on ris- of riesling. So there is some sweeter styles. So whenever a guest asks me, you know, oh, I don't like riesling because it's very sweet. Uh, you know, I try to let them know in a way that there's different levels of categories of sweetness. And cabinet bean is the most. Entry level is just a slightly sweet. It's more juicy than actually sweet. It's yeah. really just a way of letting people know the grapes were fully ripe when they were picked, mm-hmm. you know? And some of the sugar there is a natural sugar. And the fact that it has some great acidity to balance it out, uh, whenever people taste the great German Riesling, they're able to taste some sweetness. But right after, there's that nice refreshing mm-hmm. acidity that, that kind of balances. It's not the overwhelmingly sweet that you would get from some other sweeter wines from outside of other areas. So... It uh, every time I give away as a present a bottle of German Riesling to good friends of mine, uh, uh, the Latino community loves sweet wine. So whenever really? I right. hand out a bottle of Riesling, uh, you know, most of the times I give them Mosul. Mosul's got that nice cabinet, good price for them too. Uh, uh, Donhof can go up a little bit in price because of the smaller production and the great, great uh, reputation of the producer. But uh, a great cabinet, which is the category for that little sweetness level, it's amazing for a lot of uh, a lot of people that have a little touch of sweetness in their wines, and even people that don't like sweet, they taste this wine, but it has that nice acidity. Uh, oh man, you, you'd be surprised how many people. Hey, where'd you get that bottle from? I need to buy a case. So, so you were talking earlier about kind of the Latino community and yes. wine consumption. I mean. W- do you find that you have a lot of like friends, family members, colleagues within the Latino community that are really into wine? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, then having been exposed to a lot of wines, other than maybe some of them, they can find a, a, a small grocery stores and the small brands. Uh, but when they could, f- when they can be introduced to some great wines for a great price, and uh, they're not not as pretentious like a great German Riesling, nice and cold, low alcohol. Uh, you'd be surprised. There's some there's some great wines of Mexico. They have a like at least nine grams of sh- of, uh, of uh, residual sugar, and you'd be surprised. Ninety percent of the consumption is in Mexico. Mm. So uh, Mexico is a country be- oh, wow. where there is because of the spicy food, the low alcohol white wines, or even some fruity reds is something of uh, that, that people in Mexico prefer. Uh, based on the sales that I have been informed of some great wineries in Mexico, 
uh, especially like Casa Madero, their their rosado, oldest winery in yeah, the Americas, right? the oldest winery in the Americas, their their rosado, uh, which is 100% cabernet. It's a rosé wine that has at least nine grams of sugar. It feels like a cabinet rosé, <laughs> and you'd yeah. be surprised. 90% of the consumption is in Mexico, so cabinet. A great uh, style to try for people that might not be into sweet wines, but at least you get that nice balance. Mm -hmm. And of course, those great other styles, like the one we're going to try right after, uh, it's a style that could go very well with desserts, could have more sweetness, but a good balance of acidity. Like I said, the perfect the perfect kind, kind of wine with all those factors around it. Yeah. And, you know, I realize we've talked a lot about your tenure at Caracol, but at the moment you're working as a beverage consultant, right? Uh, I'm doing that uh, on my own. I do. I have uh, I call it Mexom. Mexom. Uh, Mexom, of awesome. course. So I do some consulting uh, for some uh, small restaurants within the Latino community. Uh, they might not have a person uh, to, to hire full time and they might not have a person of influence in that speak their own language. Um uh, to to help him with the decision of that. And I'm also working, of course, my full-time job is I'm a, I'm a sommelier of a new restaurant called Le Jardinier, which is a French restaurant inside the museum district, which is part of the company of La Table, where I was there for, mm-hmm. for two years after Caracol. And there, the versatility of the menu, which is vegetable-driven, lots of light dishes, uh, Riesling plays a very good role there, the cabinet and the dry one. So I'm very happy to that we also have like a degustation wine pairing menu in which uh, 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 we can work around with some of the dishes and Riesling, dry Riesling is one of the ones that people get impressed of why we pair that and the reasons of how we pair with the vegetables. There. Is there a pairing at Jardinier right now that you're particularly stoked on that includes uh, some German wine? Uh, yes, right now uh, we got we, we do a, a nice rotation based on the on what the chef uh, changes. But uh, one of the one of the wines that we're very excited to 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 be pouring is. Uh, is the Kriedig Grafenberg, which is the Robert Vial. It's a it's a Riesling from the Rheingau. Uh, Such a beautiful label. It's that baby blue bottle. Baby yeah. blue, uh, and it's it's a wine that I'm very looking forward to to match with some of the great flavors, like some great scallops with some great sweet vegetables. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a dry style that people, whenever we would pour them, uh, I, I would be excited to to see the people uh, to taste it first before I tell them what grape it is, yeah. and then be like, oh, this is delicious. Tastes like peaches. Tastes it smells yeah. petroly. Uh, well, guess what? It's Riesling. Oh, Oh my God, really? That moment, it's its very mutual. It feeds both sides, you know, as far as emotions. So very excited for that uh, uh, wine to be on a wine list, besides a couple of uh, off-dry cabinet styles. But that one right there, it's one of the up-and-coming on our wine pairing. Is there any restaurant that you're doing consulting work with or that you've done consulting work with yeah, in the past? Um, yeah, in the past, I, uh, I did some consulting for a small seafood restaurant called La Ficheria, which was, uh, it's a... Um, it used to be on Shepherd, and mm-hmm. I did some uh, consulting there. It was the first Mexican restaurant that the wine list was 100% Mexican wines. Oh, cool. This was like about uh, six years ago. Uh, they had some great connections with a company called Wines of Baja. So they br- that was, for me, being up and coming some and being from Mexico and to be introduced to a wine, uh, a wine list that was 100% from Mexico, it really touched my heart. That was some of the consulting I've done, and then a couple of small family-owned restaurants in the in the outside of the of, of the city for some ex-workers who now have their own small mini restaurant. Uh, they have come to me for a consultation as far as within this price point and for the Latino community. What kind of wines could I bring? And mm-hmm. guess which? And guess which is one of the white wines that I would hands down say, "Well, you need to get one bottle of this." Ladies and gentlemen, Riesling, of course, with a little touch of sweetness. Ah, there we go. Wow, love to see it. You love to see it. That's yep. so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe what we can do is we can pour ourselves a little bit of this uh, last wine, which, Dale, mm. is one of yours. Oh, uh, yeah. This is the JJ Broom, yeah. right? Oh, 
It is indeed. And you won um, a competition using this wine, right? Um, yeah, it was. A, a, here, give me a hit of that. On top of that? Oh yeah, on top oh, of that right. because I'm gonna get down. All right, this is your. Yeah, at home, so Dale's got a nice. Healthy pour of the JJ Broom. Oh, yeah, yes. he's got. Fortunately, it's only nine percent alcohol. Oh yes, nothing wrong with drinking <laughs> a full glass of recent or mm. a whole bottle daily. Oh hell yeah! Well, yep. So uh, me and my buddy Ryan Cooper, shout out to Uplifting Wines. Uh, we used to have a barbecue business. Uh, we were doing barbecue pop ups and so on and so forth. Company was called R and D Barbecue, which was uh, your two names: yes. R for Ryan, D for Dale. Kind R&D of lame barbecue. name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. Uh, well, well, I you know you're easy this to remember. Is a very generous assessment, but anyways, we were doing well with the pop ups, and we weren't invited. Actually, it was through Horisan from Carabada who got invited to participate in uh, the first annual Bon Me competition. Uh, chef Hori, shout out to Chef Hori. Oh yeah, great Japanese mm-hmm. chef. He didn't have time to do it, but he loved our brisket, and he goes, "I think you." would do well in this. And so he got us into this competition and, um, yeah, there were, there were two awards given. There was the people's choice award and a judge's award. And, uh, so part of it is making a presentation to the judges. Well, you know, Ryan and I are just a couple of hacks, you know, we were both a couple of wine pros trying to make our, or make a mark in this uh, chef oriented event. And we decided to play to our strengths and do a wine pairing with our, Smoked brisket, barbecue, banh mi, and made mayonnaise out of rendered brisket fat, smoky brisket fat. Anyway, I knew you were, I knew you were mayonnaise hive on that side. Oh yeah, all along. Yeah, it was on. It was on. So we did the presentation for the judges, and we presented the uh, this particular uh, JJ Prune wine. One of the judges goes, "That's not fair, but we love it." And mm-hmm. it played really well with the judges. And it was a big lesson to be learned from it. And I'm going to reel this back. Part of the reason for having a so-called sweet Riesling paired with barbecue is, I don't know, I, I love getting down on big red soda when I have barbecue. Yeah. Something sweet. You got to have it because it's peppery. Well, I think the the thing that people forget is that barbecue sauce has a lot of sugar in it. There's a mm-hmm. lot of sugar Absolutely. in barbecue sauce as well as in the yeah. rub. It mm-hmm. mm-hmm. shows the versatility uh-huh. of wine with so many cuisines. I mean, typically we, we generally have a rule of thumb and it's not always the case, but your beverage should be sweeter than the food itself. Because if not, you're only going to taste the tannin, the acid, and the alcohol. You need something that's got more sugar than the food itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 well, and I guess with dessert pairings especially, that seems it is gospel. Yeah. Anyhow, so we ended up winning the judges thing. You won the judges award at this barbecue competition with J.J. Broom, Grocker, Himmelreich, Spotlazy, which can't remember the vintage. Home, Himmelreich is Kingdom of Heaven. It's uh, this particular vineyard that J.J. Broom works mm-hmm. with. And I've had the opportunity to go to this vineyard. It is incredibly really? steep. You're literally on your hands mm-hmm. and feet trying to crawl up. It's so steep. And because it's all slate soils, like, you can't slippery. get a good grip. Like, the slate is just slipping out from under you. And I was like, I'm, I might die wow. trying to climb this vineyard. So wow. I may as well just bounce, you know, and uh, call it quits. But um, really, it's, it's so cool to visit such a storied estate where they're so down to earth and so chill. And the wine's just 
I mean, we're drinking 2019 right now, which is a very young wine. It's got a touch of reductivity to it. It's drinking beautifully. It's really pretty, uh, very juicy. But this is a producer that you can put away and age for decades. Forever. Yeah. And it tastes great. Chris, what were we drinking? You and me, we had lunch at, it wasn't Pepper Twins. It was called Cooking Girls. Yes. I, I hate to say it. it was the day that we found out the prince had passed away. It was the 2000. No, it no, was it 1987. Was like, or, yeah, it was an 87. Oh, I can't remember. It was a 1987 a Schloss Schönborn. Dude, wow. we were getting down. Yeah, we found out that Prince died, and we were like, but well, it we got to after we had this glass of wine, well, or the we, bottle of wine. We went to Pepper Twins, we drank a lot of wine yeah. there, and then we went to Pass and Provisions and had aviation cocktails, because it was purple rain. It was purple. So yeah. it was oh. a, we need to order a purple drink, because Prince is dead. I, I, you know what? And we outside, didn't have any promethazine on hand, so we didn't have any lean. Fair but. enough. You know, and then for the general public out there, too, it's uh, interesting how you can mark points in time by the wine that you're drinking. You're like a very special wine. I think that was a pretty special wine. Yeah, that was a great wine. That you was know, so much fun. Of course, it was marked by an unfortunate incident, but a lot of what I remember that day is like how well that wine was working with what we were eating. Especially, I think you ate like a cluster of um, Szechuan peppers. Yeah, I did. That, that, that was impressive. That was like dropping an atom bomb on my tongue. It was rough. <laughs> <laughs> then, then he had to go for a big gulp of wine. A big gulp of wine. No, I think, you know, for me at least, like this is a spot laissez that, we, we talk about sweetness in wine so mm -hmm. often, and for better or worse, it's always at the front of your mind when you're talking about Riesling is a conversation about sugar. And for me, at least the acidity on this wine is just, I mean, I'm salivating as I'm trying I to like, get these words out of my mouth. Oh, Sounds like I'm know. gurgling right now. Yeah, some great stories with some Spätlese style. Some. Yeah. And I, I believe it's in, was in, um, this was a wine that I also presented at a competition. At uh, Ironsome? Um, or? It was an Ironsome a couple of years ago. Uh, not this producer, but it was actually a Schloss Johannesburg. And I introduced mm. people to the Spätlese style because I told them how it was more of an accident that they left the, the grapes on the vine a little bit longer. Yeah. And then the grapes was still had that juiciness that we're tasting right now, but that great balance of acidity. And that's when the style of Spätlese came up. And and that was the story that I was telling at the competition. And people were very excited to hear about that. And, and being that one of the oldest, uh, you know, Rieslings, uh, that, that you can find based on some of the data. It was it was a great story to tell. And part of all the perfection is of the flavors and everything around it. People really would jump more on Riesling based on the great story, whether it's a personal story like yours uh, 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 or something of historical value. Then. One thing that I wonder about, like the two of you are both wine professionals within the Houston community, but are on different tracks Andres, you passed the advanced sommelier exam a couple of years ago. Right. Dale, you very proudly wear the badge of being a pinless sommelier within the community. It's called goddamn independent. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I wonder, like, in, in the case of, of you, Andres, like, mm -hmm. do you feel like studying all of the miscellanea, all of the, like, intense, intricate processes related to the Prodicot system or the VDP or all of those different elements makes you appreciate German wine more? Do you feel like you fall in more in love with these wines through your studies? Or do you think it comes back to those like gut reactions you have pairing these wines at the table? 
um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, whether it's certification or not, if you have some information that's important to answer a question of a guest on the floor, uh, whether it, whether they might be the one asking, what is this logo of this eagle on the label of a German grizzly, um, to use all that information but filter it and make it sound in a human way to educate the guest uh, for, for a better wine appreciation. Um, it's, it, I love I love studying, as you can see. I mean, <laughs> trying to learn learning three languages uh, is like I had nothing else to do. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so for me, learning wine uh, before when before I already love history, it came it came in hand. So uh, for me, studying and learning uh, has been something of a long, long, long time in, in my life. So for the certifications, it was just a no brainer for me. Like, oh well, let me see with some kind of deadline how I can prepare for those certifications. But at the end of the day, everything that I learned is something that we use inside and outside of work because it's it's information especially germany uh for me having the fortunate to speak uh the uh, basic of the language has helped me understand the laws and all the bdp and everything that they're trying to do there to to let the guests know that yes their labels might be very long the name the vineyard the style and the grade <laughs> but uh it means that they're so very specific about the quality of the wines and where they come from and how they were made and all these laws of different styles is just to really project and for people to appreciate Riesling for the right reasons and the right qualities. And Dale, what kind of guides your path within the world of wine? Wow, I'm not even really sure how to, uh, to answer that question. I feel like for a lot of people, you know, the Court of Master Sommeliers or WSET, they've got... Mm stuff to study they have something to kind of guide them through so describing yourself as a goddamn independent yeah 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 yeah, yeah. with with that in mind like what helps you stay focused on whatever it is you want to focus on well i'll tell you what my my current situation is such that we change the menu so often you know ostensibly we change it quarterly to align with the seasons but there's all these little minute changes within seasons and it's keeping up with that and coming up with uh, interesting pairings to go with everything and something that challenges the guests. However, it something that maybe even s- seems familiar to them. You know, Chris, I, th- I learned from you that the idea of uh, a lateral move in wine is not, we're not talking about price. We're talking about, man, if you like Chardonnay, I'm going to have this. If you like Riesling, you like this. If you like Cabernet, you like this, you know, that's a lot of what I'm doing. And by virtue of me challenging the guest, I'm challenging myself oftentimes. So, you know, I'm not particularly ambitious in the world of wine. I want my restaurant to do really well. It's about making sure the guest leaves happy. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for uh, leading me on that one. That was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Just fun, interesting wines that guests don't think about normally. Like, oh, wait. I think I like this. <laughs> Riesling is definitely one of them. And once again, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Riesling is the gateway drug for weird and fun grape varieties. Before I let you guys go, one last thing. In your career working in restaurants, give me a German wine. doesn't necessarily need to be Riesling, but a German wine and a dish that you've paired at one of the restaurants you've worked at. For me, definitely uh, at my former job, Caracol, any of the spicy ceviches that they carry with the cabinet Riesling that I'm pretty sure they have by the glass, wait till you try that. And you'll notice how the the reason it goes amazingly well with Mexican food is because that little touch of sweetness does 
do a chemical reaction in your palate that makes that cools off the spiciness. I I I invite everyone to try some great ceviches with a touch of spice and try a glass of uh, riesling, and you notice how that nice combination really really does a great job to enjoy the the, the food and to enjoy the wine. So that's Hell something yeah. of an invitation for everybody. Uh, Meyer Naker Spate Burgunder with duck. I think we did that over in, uh, at uh, De Goost. Early on, we were only doing six courses, but I Meyer love Nagel. their wines. And oh, an MG. example of a winery that got totally destroyed. Their Shout entire facility was destroyed in the flooding that occurred uh, a couple of weeks so ago. So hard to believe to this day. So. You know, shout out to Durta and Micah Nakel, the two sisters that run that estate. Really amazing wine. Buy it. Support their winery because the next vintage or two we won't see in the market. Yeah, with Duck, I can't think of a better pairing. That sounds fantastic. uh, Incredible. And, I mean, I don't know. How would you how would you sell uh, German Pinots? Um, I would sell them... uh, Relating it to a specific style of burgundy white, maybe mm-hmm. like a something of a Volnay. Uh, if someone wants a more elegant style of a Pinot, I will let them know. Well, did you know that now Germany is making some phenomenal Pinot that's very similar at a half of the price of some big, expensive French wines? With that, you can see the way the pupils dilate on people's faces. <laughs> and you can see that you're saying the right words. Not only you're you're giving them a great value and an opportunity for them to to be introduced to a great producer like Maya Nacol. Um it's the way to, to create value for a Pinot Noir that is outside of their comfort zone, like you said, Chris. Hell yeah. Um, real quick, one last thing. Mole. If you had to pair a Riesling with Mole, what style of Riesling would it be? I would probably do a, a Spätlese style yeah. because it's a little more sweeter than the Cabinet, but it's richer enough to hold to all those spices and chocolate. Uh, the dry, the dry. If if the mole is a little too spicy, maybe the dry uh, might might feel uh, uh, too dry. So I think the one that the spätlese, I think, would be enough texture, juiciness to hold off to the spiciness of the mole and to yeah. all the other peppers and spices. And of course, whichever protein. At the end of the day, the sauce uh, uh, on a dish is the most important flavor. That's gonna really, really more uh, important really, than the protein. More important than the protein oh, because absolutely. the protein could be could be neutral compared to the spices and the flavor. So, and mm. the same with the wine. The wine at the end of the day is the last sauce of whatever you enjoy. I love it, Dale. I know you were a big fan of the eel at Cotarabata. I remember. You loved bringing out a little bit of unagi. Oh. What what sort of what style of reasoning would you pair with that? Ooh, that could go a couple of different ways. I can't wait to hear this one. I know because mm-hmm. there's, I mean, the, there's a fattiness, so maybe you can go super dry and let the electric acidity cleanse your palate. But um, uh, a spot Lisa, something uh, you know, kind of. Let me, let me reel this back. So uh, unagi, oftentimes I would uh, say have this as dessert. Have unagi as dessert. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, uh, following the, uh, you know, connecting the dots, this J.J. Prume that that we're uh, drinking right now. Um, You know, for me, Riesling has a very special place in my heart because um, when I became the wine buyer for the first time in my career, it was at Houston's restaurant. I'd been the manager in charge of lots of other departments, but I finally had the chance to be in charge of the wine program. And the first one I ever like physically added to a list was Light's Dragonstone Riesling. Wow. Um, the Drakenstein Vineyard um, in Rheingau. And Light's is a great producer. It's yes. imported by Shotzi. Great wines. Um, but that wine is very near and dear to my heart. And it's a vineyard that's been utilized by a lot of different producers over the years. So when I had the chance to go to Rheingau, 
I went to dinner with Andreas Spritzer, uh, the mm-hmm. winemaker for the first wine that we tried. Mm-hmm. And we nice. had a wine, I think it was a 1974 Riesling oh. from a producer that no longer exists. Um, they've since shuttered, but it was from the Drakenstein Vineyard. Wow. And it was just so cool that wow. one of the oldest wines I've had in my wine career um, to taste is also from the same vineyard as the first one I ever got to put on the wine list. What and at Houston's is. restaurant where they cook with a fuck ton of sugar, people are like, why is the why are the barbecue ribs so good? Why is the Hawaiian ribeye so good? It's like, bro, because there's a bunch of sugar in both of those things. Oh, yes. But spinach and artichoke dip, Hawaiian ribeye, barbecue ribs at Houston's, all of that goes so well with that light's Dragonstone. And it's a wine that's under $20 on a retail shelf, and mm-hmm. it's really tasty. So, oh, hell yeah. I, you know... I have champagne taste, but I'm on a beer budget. And the best way to combat that is drink old Riesling. There you go. Mm-hmm. The oldest I've tasted was in 03, Jojo Proofs. Mm. Wow. And you guys are talking about decades of tasting this wine. I'm pretty sure you guys even drank the crystals too. Oh, for sure. Well, when I went to JJ Proom, they played this game where they were like, we're going to pour you wine and we're not going to tell you what vintage it is. Oh, wow. And it was so fun because you basically have to Whatever you think the vintage is, just add a decade to it. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, oh, this this is this feels pretty old. It might be from like the late nineties, and they're like, it's early eighties. We got gotcha. you. Wow, so. man! I tell you what, you know, I, I, one thing I love about, about drinking older vintages is I just let my imagination run because you know, oftentimes the producer might have passed away, the people picking the grapes have passed away, the people that built the barrels passed away. You are it's a time literally, yeah, it really is. And it's, there's no more affordable way to indulge that than getting in a, down in on a some way, older things. It feels like travel through time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gun mm-hmm. it to 88. Where we're yeah. going, yeah. we don't need roads. We're yes, there you go. <laughs> back to, McFly, the, back baby. to the future. Doc Brown. <laughs> it is in a way feeling like you're traveling through time to yeah. be able to taste an yeah. older wine. And how back then, uh, you know, they would project in about 20 years, they're going to be three Psalms. Chris, Dale, and Andres talking about our wines on a podcast and be they able be to sorted. show the great value for this wine. So it is a time machine for all those it is. fantasize about it, watching the trilogy of Back to the Future too many times. Well, <laughs> enjoying some old Riesling is a nice way to do it. Let's be fair. We're not watching the full trilogy. We're watching the first two movies. We're escaping the Wild West. They did, they, they did, they did walk that, uh, the guy with some spicy drink to wake him up. Doc. <laughs> Andres, if people want to find you yeah. on the interwebs, where can they locate you? Uh, at the moment, I just created a new Instagram page called Andres underscore Mexom with two M's. Uh, I'm looking forward to post some great wine recommendations from uh, from many areas, of course, including Germany, uh, promoting some great wines from Mexico. And I'm very excited there to share some great uh, uh, um, experiences with all the great restaurants that I get to visit. Pretty soon I'll be visiting the Goose and I'll be showing you guys a picture of the Riesling <laughs> I'm going to enjoy there with my friend Dale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people can find you at, you said Jardinier? Uh, and right now I'm working at Le Jardinier, which is a new French restaurant in the museum district. Uh, pouring some wines for you on the a la carte menu or some great German Riesling on the wine pairings. Hell yeah, dog. And Dale, Ooh. where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, I'm or a bit of a Luddite. I think Facebook is it. I think I do Insta. Does that make me sound young and hip? MySpace, perhaps? <laughs> MySpace. Well, I never got on MySpace. I did Friendster. You know what? Just come see me. We'll just have Chris create yeah. another podcast. I'm going to go old Rieslings school. and we'll find you again. We'll shake we'll hands. We'll bring you back in. Yeah. yeah. We are decidedly non-elitist. We're, our chefs call themselves cooks. We're a lot of fun. Come see us, please. And as Dale said, you'll be loaded by the end of the experience. So. If you so, yes. Correct. 
<clears throat> if you so choose, we can, we'll top you off. Hey, there we go. Well, you love to see it. So, gentlemen, thank you both so much for joining us. You can listen to every episode of By the Glass, wherever you stream your audio content. Drink more Riesling, drink more German Riesling, and visit these two gentlemen at their lovely establishments. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to have to take an Uber when I now.